Well, one day when Jesus was asked by his disciples what his second coming was going to be like, what it was going to be like when he returns, Jesus responded to them by telling them a series of stories. He told them a series of stories, and these stories are parables. And one of the parables he told them is the parable that we're going to be looking at this morning. And it's a parable about what it's going to be like on that day and what the kingdom of heaven will also be like. And the parable comes to us in Matthew chapter 25. And here's what Jesus says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. And the man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. And so also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus often taught in parables to catch people's attention. And I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of this parable, it kind of catches my attention. It kind of surprises me a little bit. When I get to the end of the parable and think about that third guy, I'm like, really, Jesus? Was he that bad? I mean, at least he actually showed back up. At least he came back with his one talent. And now, if you're not familiar with this word talent that's used in the Scripture, talent for them during that period, was simply a denomination of money. And it was a large denomination of money. One talent represented 15 to 20 years worth of wages. So five talents is what one might earn in 100 years. Two talents is what one might earn in a lifetime. One talent, 15 to 20 years, and now I tend to think, you know what? If I had given this guy one talent, 15 to 20 years worth of money, 
and he came back to me at the end with it, I'd be pretty happy, right? I'd just be happy that he didn't catch a bus down to Biloxi and go to the Beauravage and spend it on nickel slots. I'd just be happy that he didn't spend it on the new iPhone or buying a bunch of grill accessories. I would just be happy that he came back with this talent and that he actually had it and that he didn't skip down. I mean, last week we talked about how in the Proverbs it often differentiates between the wise person and the foolish person. And to me, if, I, if this was my money, I'd say, you know what, that guy was pretty wise. He was pretty wise because he did the safest thing possible. He buried it in the ground because even during that time, banks were kind of still just developing. And so it would have been a little bit risky to give it to a banker and hope that you'd have a little interest because you don't know exactly what the banker's going to do with it. I mean, if it was my money, I would have cut the guy some slack and said, you know what, come on in, it's all right. I'm just glad you brought the money back. I mean, that's what I would do if it was my money. But it's not my money. It's not your money. It wasn't the servant's money. And I think that's the key to reading this parable. It's to understand whose the money is, and the money is the master's. The master is the owner, and the parable tells us in the beginning that he entrusted it to his servants. He asked them to steward it. Now, there's a big difference between an owner and a steward, because an owner is somebody who owns things. It's their money, it's their assets, it's their house, it's all theirs. And so they can do with it whatever they please, because at the end of the day, if it all goes downhill or they lose it all, well, they're ultimately accountable to themselves. They're the owner. But a steward is very different. They have a very different relationship with their money. Because a steward, it's not their money. Usually a steward has been given money to manage on behalf of somebody else. Usually that person is above them, like a master and a servant. And so the steward is oftentimes giving, given a little freedom and flexibility to spend the money and use it how they think is best, but they're always supposed to use the money in accordance with the will and the ways of the one who gave it to them because it's been entrusted to them. They're supposed to use it on behalf of the one who gave it to them for their purposes and their desires in the world. So there's a big difference between an owner and a steward, and the owner, the master here in this parable, has entrusted these talents, this money, to these three people. That's what we find. And so I imagine when this first guy was called forward and the master said, you know what, I'm going on a long journey. And he said, hey, here's five talents. Here's a hundred years worth of wages. I imagine that that first guy was just like, wow, this guy really trusts me. I better not mess this up. You know what? I know what he would want me to do. He would want me to go out and to try to do something good with this money. And so that guy goes out and it says, at once he immediately put the money to work. And he made five more talents. And then there's the guy with two talents, and that guy probably thought the same thing. Wow, this is a great responsibility. And I don't want to let my master down. And so I'm going to go. I know what my master would want. He, he would probably want me to go and do something with this. And so he goes out and he makes two more talents. And then there's the guy with one talent who's been given one talent. I imagine he was excited as well. I mean, you've got to think about this. This was more money than he was probably going to make for the rest of his life. And so he got this one talent, but he had a little different reaction. I imagine him thinking, oh, wow, 
I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to screw this up because I know my master, I mean, he has high expectations. He's a high power guy. And so, you know what? I could go out and do something with it like the other guys, but you know what? They're kind of smarter than me. They were given more than me. So, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to play it safe. I'm going to play it safe. What's the safest thing I can do? You know what? It's to bury it in a hole. And so he got a shovel. He began to dig and he buried it and hid it away for all those likely years that the master was gone. But then one day, as you see, the master returned and he called them to account. And so they probably began all scrambling, getting together their money. The guy who had investments, you know, they probably got them all together. The guy was probably excited as he was digging that shovel in the ground and he proudly had that one talent all that money, some translations say bags of gold, as he had his little bag of gold and he takes it to the master. And then the master is there and the first guy says, Master, here's five talents and I've actually made five more for you. And the master hears those words that we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so he comes through, he says, come share my happiness. So he's excited. The guy with two talents, he does the same thing. He's like, here you go, made some more money. He comes through, comes sharing the master's happiness, well done, good and faithful servant. And I imagine that that guy with one talent, he was feeling excited at this point. And he was thinking, all right, I'm going to go in with them. I'm going to share in the master's happiness. And then the master began to speak and he realized that he had misjudged the master. That he had gotten it wrong. That he had been entrusted with the money and he was supposed to use it according to the master's will and according to the master's ways. But it turns out he didn't know the master as well as he thought he did. Because he realized after this speech and after he was called a wicked and a lazy servant that the master wasn't ultimately concerned with a financial return. What the master wanted him to do was to take some initiative. Was to step out in faith and to risk a little bit. He realized that he had miscalculated as he put it in the ground. And as my friend J.D. Walt says, at this moment he realized that in his master's kingdom, risk is rewarded and playing it safe is punished. And the disciples, when they heard this parable, probably kind of like you and me at the end of it, like, wow, that's a different kind of kingdom. That's not exactly what I expected there. But I'm sure they took this to heart because remember they asked Jesus what it was going to be like when he one day returns. And so here they realize what it's going to be like. They begin to understand the expectations of the one that they called master who was soon going to be going on a long journey and who would one day return home. And after all, you have to think about it, Jesus was just about to entrust the church to them. And so Matthew, as he's writing down Jesus' life and thinking about all the stories to include here in the Bible. I imagine him trying to think through what to include, not include. And when he got to this story and remembered this teaching from Jesus, he said, you know what? That wasn't just a teaching for us, Jesus' first 12 disciples. That's a teaching for everybody throughout history. That's a teaching for all disciples throughout all time. And I think that's true. Because in this parable, I think Jesus is wanting to teach us some key lessons as well. And the first is kind of the the obvious thing, and it seems kind of basic when you look at the parable, but it's this, that God owns 
everything. God owns everything. That's one of the key things this parable is teaching us. And I love the way that Psalm 24 puts it. It says this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. That's what Psalm 24 verse 1 through 2 says. Everything in the world is the Lord's. He created it. He redeemed it. He sustains it. It's all our Lord's, our Master's, our money, our houses, our cars, all of our assets, my bank account, your bank account. All of it is our Master's. God is the owner of everything. That's a very foundational truth that we find in this parable. But a second truth that we also see is that while God is the owner of everything, He has an entrusted things to us in this world. He's entrusted to us everything that we have. As James says, every good and perfect gift in our life comes from above. Everything we have has been entrusted to us by God, and God wants us to be stewards. He wants us to see that we're not owners. We're stewards, and as stewards, we're called to manage his money and his assets in a wise way rather than a foolish way. We're called to manage them in a way that's consistent with his will. And just like in the parable, one of the things we see is that everybody was given something. Now, they were all given different amounts, and, it, and we can realize that in our world today, right? We all, we all have different amounts of things. We've all been entrusted at different levels. Some people have a lot. Some people have a little. Some people are so busy being envious and trying to figure out how much everybody has that they're, they're too busy to even focus on what God has actually given them. But we've all been entrusted with these things and God wants us to use them for His good and for His glory. And the reality is, is that in the end, God's not concerned with our bank account balance on our final day. God isn't ultimately concerned with how much money we have at the end of our life or how many resources we have. God is most concerned with our faithfulness with what we've been given. He wants us to manage it according to his will and his way. And when we look at this parable, one of the surprising things that we see is that his will is that we wouldn't play it safe. He wants us to live lives of risk in this world. To live lives of faith. To not live with a mindset of scarcity and fear like the third guy but to step out and to try something. And that's why, I mean, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've been issuing, and today's the final day we're going to really issue this challenge, we've been issuing the 90-day tithe challenge. Because there's really no greater way I can think of to say, you know what, God, you're the owner of everything, and in a tangible and a practical way, I want to be a good steward of it, and so I'm going to listen to your word. I want to manage it according to your will and your way and give you back 10%. $1 out of every 10, right? There's no more practical and tangible way to recognize that God is the owner, we're his stewards, than to live out that teaching. Because here's the thing, giving God any amount of our money is risky, right? 
It's risky because in our world, there's all these voices telling us inside of us and outside of us that, you know what, that's dumb. That's dumb to give money away. Because what if something happens next week and you need grocery money? What happens if there's an emergency? How are you going to pay for that vacation you want to take in the future, right? There's all of these voices telling us, you know what? It's foolish to give your money away. The wise thing to do is to keep it all for yourself. But we know that God's ways are different than our ways. God wants us to risk and to step out in faith and to trust him. And a lot of times when we're giving away our money, it's one of the hardest things that we can do because it requires so much faith because a lot of times the math doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense practically and culturally to open up our hands. But if it made sense and it was easy, it wouldn't require faith and God wouldn't be using it to grow us. And I actually heard at the conference I was at a couple weeks ago, somebody give a great illustration on this. He said us stepping out in faith and risking with our finances or any area of our lives, it's, it's like us being a three-year-old at the swimming pool wearing those orange floaties. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Is that still a thing, parents? Is that still the technology has not improved? Okay, wow. I, I thought there'd be something new now that you could buy. But you know what? You had the orange floaties, and I remember having those floaties at the pool. And a lot of times when we're stepping out in faith, we're like that little kid, maybe two to three years old, standing at the edge of the pool with the floaties on, and God, our Heavenly Father, is just a few feet away, and He's standing there with His arms wide open. And He's saying, come on, jump. Jump, it's going to be fun. I'm going to catch you. And we're standing there at the edge, and we're thinking, I don't know about all this. I don't think this is going to happen. What if... Uh, I stumble, what if I fall, what if he doesn't catch me and I just get stuck in the water, right? We're thinking of all of these ways and so for a lot of us, it, it takes us a lot of time to finally jump. Some of us, maybe you feel like in your life of faith, you've never actually made that jump because there's not a level of trust there. You've never taken that risk. But God is always there as our Heavenly Father saying, come on, I'll catch you. I'm here for you. But he wants us to jump, to risk, to step out in faith. And here's what you found if you've ever done that. You know that as soon as you jump and you feel God's embrace, you know the joy that a little kid has when they do that for the first time. As they realize, you know what? They were actually there for me. And they realize, you know what? This was amazing. And then they get back out of the pool and what do they do? They do it again and again and again because they know the joy that comes with that risk. They know the joy that comes from that embrace they receive as they jump out. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to jump out and to risk, to step out in faith like those first two people in the parable. They could have lost it all. They could have lost it all, but I think that the master would have said, you know what, I'm just glad you tried something. I'm just glad you took some initiative. But sometimes it feels crazy to take that step and to jump. It feels crazy and it can sound crazy. Actually, last week, somebody turned in a tithe challenge card and they wrote this on it. They wrote, what a blessing it is to tithe. And I thought, you know what? That's crazy talk in the world's eyes, right? People think that I literally just, half of y'all are thinking he just made that up, that nobody actually wrote that on a card, but that's what somebody wrote. Because they know the joy that comes when they risk, when they step out in faith 
and they trust and they say, God, your will, your way. And so this morning, this is the last time we'll issue the challenge, but in the seat back in front of you, there's a little card. And if you want to come in and join us as a church as we take this 90-day tithe challenge, as we surrender over these next 90 days, and we say, God, we're going we're gonna to try this out. We're going to test you. We're going to step out in faith. We'd love for you to join us. You can fill it out, turn it in, in the offering plate in just a few minutes. But whether you've filled out that card, maybe you've just looked at the card and said, I don't think I can make the jump. Maybe you've said, you know what? I'm not ready for the jump yet, but, but I'll increase my giving a little bit. Maybe you've already been tithing, and, and maybe you're, you're going to step out in faith even more. Here's one thing that I know that's dangerous whenever we give money to God and to his kingdom and his purposes in this world. One thing I know that's dangerous is that a lot of times we say, you know what, God, I'm going to fill out this card. I'm going to put a $20 bill in the offering plate. I'm going to give you 10%. I'm going to give you this portion of my money. And we say, God, you know what? There's your fee. Now I'm just going to go do whatever I want with the rest of this stuff. We say, God, you know what? I hope, I hope that kind of keeps you at bay for a little while for the rest of the week until next Sunday. Next Sunday, I'll hit you with another 20. But during the meantime, I'm going to do what I want with my time. I'm going to do what I want with my gifts and my abilities. I'm going to do whatever I want with the rest of my money. But here is the thing. God wants it all. He wants our entire lives. Because while this parable is clearly about money, it's also about more than money. Because God is the owner of more than our money. God is the owner of everything. And you and I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And as his servants, he wants it all. He doesn't want just one hour on Sunday. He doesn't just want a portion of our money. He wants all of us. But sometimes that can be hard to figure out, you know, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like to surrender our entire selves to the master and say, God, use me however you want to? Well, there's a quote I heard a while back, many years ago, that's been very powerful for me as I've thought about this. And it's from a theologian named Frederick Buechner. And he said this. He said that really our life purpose, our calling in life, is where our great gladness and the world's great needs come together. Our calling in life, what God wants us to do with our lives, all that we have, all that we are, is where our great gladness, and the world's great needs come together. Another way of putting it is, God wants us to live generously and to give of our entire selves, using all of the gifts that he's given us to help fill in all of the gaps that are still in the world, all of the needs that are out there to help mend and be redeemers, part of his redeeming work in the brokenness of this world. And I have a little, I think we have the image up here. I'm not sure if it's going to show up well. You probably can't read these things, but this is actually a copy of a handout that's the Welcome Center if you want to think through this further this week. But on the left side over here are gaps. These are needs in the world. And I think we can all agree that our world has a lot of needs. Amen? There are a lot of needs. There is a lot of brokenness. There are a lot of groups of people, systems, and environments where... God wants to do great things. 
I mean, if you look over here, there, there's just some different ones, right? There's a lot of mental health needs in our world. There's needs in our government. There's needs for veterans in our education system, for the homeless, for children. There's a lot of needs for parents and families in this world. Over here is a list of gaps and needs in this world. And here's one thing I found is that God often puts specific needs or gaps in our world on our hearts. He gives us what we like to call a burden. God doesn't want you to solve every problem in the world. That's not your calling. But a lot of times God gives us a unique passion for specific gaps in this world. But not only does God give us a specific passion and a burden for different gaps in this world, God also has given each of us different gifts. He has entrusted to us gifts. He's entrusted to us time, talents, and treasure. And so for all of us, he's given us the gift of time. And some of you have more time than others. You have more free time. And so you have the ability to, you know what, volunteer more than others. All of us have the ability to pray with our time, to be present, to care with our time, and to serve other people with our time. But then we also all have talents. And our, our English word talent actually is derived from this parable. But talents, we know now, those more skills, abilities, spiritual gifts, and other aptitudes that God has given us. And, and all of us in here, we have some talents. You might think your talents can't be used by God, but that's not true. God has given us all different talents at different levels. And so some of you have the ability to teach, to build, to repair. Some of you have computer skills, musical skills, leadership skills. Some of you are great listeners, organizers. God has given us all unique gifts, and God has also given us all treasure. That's, that's our bank accounts, our stuff. And so we can serve with our treasure. And what God wants to do is God wants to align our gifts with the gaps in this world because that's when beautiful things begin to happen. That's when transformation begins to happen. And so I want somebody to step out in faith here. Who here has a burden for something in this world or a specific heart for a group of people or a specific thing in this world? Who has something? Shout it out. Breast cancer. What else? Elderly. Homeless, children, youth. So I want you to think about this week. What are those gaps? What's that unique burden that God has given you? So I just want to take, let's take youth for an example. We know our students have a lot of needs in our schools, in our church, all around. And so if that's, if that's your, your gap you feel called to, God wants you to use your gifts. And you know what? Some people, I know we have people in this church who say, you know what, if a student ever wants to go on a trip, I will fund a scholarship. Because I don't have a lot of time, but I have treasure and I want to invest in them. We have other people who say, you know what, I have time and I have a passion and I have the gift of listening and teaching. So I want to volunteer with our student ministry. So I'm going to be out there every Wednesday night. And there's other ways you can serve. You know what? You can pray for our students with your time. There's a lot of different ways that you can help fill in that gap and different gaps that you feel in this world with the gifts that God has given you. But here's the thing. A lot of times we don't do this because of fear. We're like that third servant. We're afraid to step out in faith and to do something. Because we think, you know what? I have a passion for students, but... I've actually never worked with students. I mean, I have a student, but I've never worked with students. And so what if I go out there and they eat me alive? 
Or what if I say, you know what, I'm going to make a meal for the students, and then all the students are like, what is this meatloaf? We don't eat meatloaf anymore. So we think, you know what, I'm not going to risk. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to step out in faith. And, or what if, I, what if I start volunteering with the students and, and I don't feel an instant connection? What if fear? And so we end up simply burying our talent, our time and our treasure, and we just don't do anything. And it's that way with a lot of stuff. We say, you know what, I have a heart, I have a heart for the homeless, but you know what, what if... What if something happened while I was serving them? So you know what? I'm not going to do anything. I just want to stay at a distance. You know what? I have a, heart. I have a heart for veterans. But you know what? I'm already giving to the church. And if I were to give to that veteran's home, that's going to stretch me thin. I, I don't know. I'm just going to step back. I'm just going to play it safe. A lot of times, it's our fear. Fear of failure, fear of just not knowing what to do. It's the unknown that keeps us from stepping out and living generously, living as the people God has called us to. But it's when our gifts and these gaps come together that God does great work. It's when we risk and we jump that God does great work in our lives. And I'll just tell you this, that when you do that, when you begin risking in different areas of your life, with your time and your talents and your treasures. And you say, you know what, God, I don't know if this is going to work out, but I'm going to give it a try. People around you will probably think you're crazy. Right? Your financial advisor is going to say, I don't think you should be giving away that money. Because <laughs> I'm doing the projections here, and it's not looking good. Your friends might say, you know what, I know, I know that you have a heart for people in addiction and recovery, but that can be really messy. Why don't, why don't you just pray for them instead of actually going and meeting with them? You know what? Just stay away, right? Your friends might say that. Your family, students, your, your family might say, you know what? You're kind of being a Jesus freak here. People will come at us. The world will probably tell you that, you know what? You, sh you shouldn't risk. You should play it safe. And that's when you have to remember that the world doesn't own who I am and all that I have. They're not the owner. I'm not the owner. God is the owner. And he's entrusted this life to me to do great work, to risk, and to try to do great things for his kingdom. Emily has a, a girl from her hometown in Nashville who did this a few years ago, when she was 18, she was senior class president, voted homecoming queen. She was on the fast track to go to a great college. And as she says, Jesus wrecked her life, and she ended up telling her parents, I'm not going to college. I'm moving to Uganda. Her parents were not happy. She had been there in December on a mission trip her senior year for a few weeks, and she said, you know what, I feel God's calling me to risk, to step out in faith. I know one person there. I don't know the language, but I feel like that's what he's calling me to do. And everybody was like, you shouldn't do that. A lot of friends left her, but she ended up going, and she said, you know what, I'll go for a year. I'll commit for a year, and we'll see what God does, and then we'll, we'll see after that. But after that first year, she realized that this is where her gifts and the gaps in the world came together. This is where God wanted her to be. 
So she ended up staying within five years. I think we have a picture here. She adopted these girls. They're her family now. After working in an orphanage, she realized that God was calling her to step out in faith, so she adopted them. Ten years later, she's still there. Her name is Katie. She has a book called Kisses from Katie. You can read about her story. She's still there. Now she's adopted even more children, right? That's crazy in the world's eyes, in her family's eyes. And I know a lot of, you know, my parents always pray like, God, please don't let Jonathan be a missionary, right? A lot of parents like, God, we love our child, but don't let him go far. Amen. Um, you know, that's the way a lot of us feel. She's risked. God has honored that risk, and he's done great things as she's risked on the other side of the world. But even closer to home, I saw a story in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution recently, just the other day, about a church that's actually risking and stepping out in faith. It's the First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta, an old church downtown. And they said, you know what? We're going to give away $250,000 this February. They said, you know what? We love serving people. But you know what? We don't have all the best ideas here in this church. And so they're putting on a Shark Tank-style format where they're saying, if you have great ideas, a great business, if you have innovative solutions for needs, for gaps that are in the city of Atlanta, for the homeless and other things in our city, if you feel like you can be part of the solution to some of these things, we're going to have coaching and mentoring, and ultimately we're going to have a panel vote. And at the end, in February, we're going to give away $250,000 to you to run with and to start these projects. And now that's risky because I know it's an older church, and so that church probably has some deferred maintenance on the building. They could probably use some digital advertising to help get young people in the church. They could probably build a new fellowship hall. But they're saying, you know what? Let's jump. And those projects, you know what? They might not work out. Nothing significant might happen, but they're saying, we'd rather give away that $250,000 and try something rather than just leaving it in the bank and doing nothing. And I think God wants us to do the same. Now, we don't have $250,000 to give away. But God is calling us as a church to give away our entire lives with love. He's calling us to go all in to take that leap of faith. And so for this final sermon illustration, I want to have six volunteers who are willing to come forward. Nobody's going to risk even to be a volunteer. People of all ages, all right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, hold on. We might have a... Okay. We got seven. Okay. No, that's okay. Let's see. I, no, 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 no. Stay up here. Stay up here. I'm going to hit you up after the service, Angie. I'll get you after the service. So some of y'all know that... Our vision this year has been to serve and to bless 10,000 people in our community. And when we announced that at the beginning of the year, it was kind of, I mean, it's kind of bold, it's kind of risky, thinking, okay, that's a, that's a lot of people. But I want to give an update because so far we've been tallying it, and we don't know all the stories you have, so please send them to me. So far we've tallied that we've served 5,030 people this year. We've blessed, served, loved all those people. Yeah, it's awesome. And we have some great opportunities coming up with Return to Bethlehem, Operation Christmas Child, and more. And so we want to continue doing that, right? We're not stopping, but we're still there, but we're over halfway there. 
But this vision has been about, you know what? How can we use all that we have and all that we are to bless other people for God's kingdom work and to risk, right? We know, okay, all those 10,000 people, they're not necessarily going to come to faith or step foot in this door, but that's okay. We're stepping out in faith and we're risking. And so this morning, we don't have $250,000, but we actually have $250 split among these envelopes. And so I'm giving you a kingdom challenge this morning. And so there are different amounts in these envelopes. They're each given according to your abilities, as I've judged you. No, just kidding. They're not. <laughs> they're, they're not. I'll give, you, I'll give you some later. So in these envelopes is cash. And there's different amounts of cash in each one. You've all been given something except Angie, but for, you know, we're going to give you something, okay? You've all been giving something. And what I want you to do is, if you're willing to take on this kingdom challenge, is to take this money and to use it to glorify God somehow. I'm entrusting you with it. We're, as a church, entrusting you with this money. And so, you know what? You can go out and you can give it away to somebody right after this service. You can invest it. You know what? You can put it on the stock market, get some Bitcoin, whatever you want to do. You can invest it and try to make more money and then come back and tell us, you know what? I quadrupled the money. Here you go. You can do that. You can use it to, to purchase something, start some... Pro- I, I don't care. But we're entrusting it to you, and we want you to use it for that purpose. And now, look, you can go throw it away or spend it on yourself, but we're going to hold you to account like in the parable because we want you to report back. We want you to report back how you've been able to use this money for God and for his kingdom. And then there are instructions on how you can share your story with us. And we're going to, you know, we're going to align this with the 90-day tithe challenge. We're going to say you have 90 days. And within 90 days, we want to report back of, of how these seeds have grown. And our goal is that as we hear your stories, that your stories will inspire each of us in our stories. And you'll be reminders to us that God owns everything. He simply entrusted it to us. And he wants us to risk, to step out in faith and to try something. So do you accept the challenge? Yes, okay. So as they accept this challenge, I hope that you'll receive the challenge as well. Not simply with your finances, but with all that you have and all that you are, that you'll use it for God's glory and for God's kingdom in this world. So let's pray a blessing over them and over us as a church. God, you are the owner. We're simply the managers of all that you've given to us. We're simply stewards. And God, some of us in here feel like we don't have a lot. But God, I pray that you would give us a spirit of encouragement today, helping us see all of the unique gifts, all of the unique talents, all the unique treasure, all the ways we can spend our time that you've given to us. God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the needs in this world, that we wouldn't walk around blindly ignoring the injustices and all the needs around us, God, but that we would be people who step out in faith, who live for you and your kingdom and say, you know what, God? I know from this parable and from your word that that you want us to take a chance. And so, God, as these people receive these gifts, we pray that for us they would be signs, symbols, reminders 
of the challenge that you've given to each of us. God, as we receive this morning's tithes and offerings now, we know that every dollar placed in the plate, every gift given, God, it could have been used in some other way. But we're here today saying, you know what, God, I want to trust you. I'm going to risk for you. And God, for people who are taking on this giving challenge and who are, who are stepping up and giving, God, for people who are tithing for the first time, people who are saying, God, this is crazy, but I'm going to move beyond a tithe. God, for all of us in this room, whatever amount we're giving, God, we pray that you would help us to do it by faith. Trusting that you're going to meet us and you're going to meet our deepest needs and that you're going to grow us as we do. So God, give us faith, give us joy, give us your power, and give us your presence. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.